Hey, grab your Bibles, turn to Genesis 27. As you turn there, there are a couple things I do want to chat about. They didn't give me a chance to earlier. They're just like, we got to praise the Lord. Forget you. And so we decided to praise the Lord. I guess that was more important. That's all right. And so, um, I don't know, it's been a couple months ago, we put out to, to the body that we're looking at adding another deacon, right? Raymond is going to be stepping aside as deacon, adding, adding a, a deacon, and we had you put names in the, in the boxes. We went through Act 6 and went through the process. The overwhelming name that we got from the body is Jared Larkey. So Jared and Molly Larkey, uh, Jared's our candidate for our next deacon. And so you have a few weeks to, if you have any issues with that, or you have what have you to, to address the pastors, or I would ask that you first go to Jared if you have any issues with, with that or what have you. But please approach um, them, consider them. Remember, first, take First Timothy chapter 3, into consideration, Acts chapter 6 in consideration, Titus chapter 1 in consideration for all those things. And then um, probably next week we'll have on the schedule when we're going to have um, an ordination service or an installment service uh, to the office of deacon. So that ought to be coming quickly. Also, um, with everything that's been going on, transitions and all kinds of different things, um, it's been a hot minute since we've been able to do People still say hot minute. I just did. So apparently we do. So it's been a hot minute since we've done baptisms. And uh, I was just approached last week about baptisms. And I've heard through the grapevine there may be others that are interested in that. So if you are interested in getting baptized, let me know. We're going to be, Lord willing, doing that in April, hopefully. And also, Lord willing, here on the stage. We're trying to figure out how to do that. Uh, we did it outside on a horse trailer um, last time, and that was great, but we're going to, Lord willing, do it inside here, um, probably in a horse trough. It's probably how it's going to roll down, right? So we'll do it, do it here, but if you're interested in that, please come see me, um, and here's what I'm honestly going to do. I'm going to have you go see my wife. Can you do that? Just, God gave me an amazing woman uh, as, as my wife, and so she's better at keeping track of those things, and so if you could Come to me, and I'll probably direct you to my wife, and then I want to actually have a sit-down powwow conversation with you guys um, about what baptism is and what it isn't and all those type of things. And then when we do the baptisms, we'll also be observing the Lord's Supper that same day. So it's going to be just a full day of the ordinances, right? God's given us two ordinances, the Lord's Supper and baptism. So we'll be doing that um, in, in April, Lord, Lord willing. All right, I think that's all the major announcements that I have. Oh, one other thing. Um, cost of discipleship. We're going to have a new cost of discipleship class coming up soon. I don't have the dates for that. It's a three-week class. So if you have not been discipled or you're interested in discipleship, um, as soon as we get that sign-up sheet out there, I need you to sign up. It's a three-week class. Where's Dave Williams? Is he here? Dave Williams is going to be leading a lot of that class. I'm going to be doing one of those sessions, but he's going to be doing two of them, and we're trying to disciple Dave to, to take over that class at this cost of discipleship. So that's coming very, very soon as well, and uh, just a whole lot of things. I'm excited about some little bit of structure that we're finally getting. All right, so Genesis chapter 27 today is an interesting message. There's a whacked-out passage that we have to deal with. So we're dealing with this volume of the book series. We're trying to do a bird's-eye view of the entire Bible, Genesis to Revelation and it's taken us a little bit of time to get through Genesis, but we have to hit all the main characters, right? We have to hit it. So if you remember, God creates, and he hands off the stewardship of his creation to Lucifer. Lucifer falls, becomes Satan. God turns it over to Adam. Adam and Eve fall. He turns it over um, to, to the line of lineage of Seth, and, and to, uh, then you have the giants and all whole, that whole mess, and then he turns it over to Noah, and then that whole mess that goes through the flood and after that, they go, uh, Nimrod takes, takes authority and he tries to build a kingdom, the Tower of Babel, and God disperses all mankind. He starts over with a new guy named Abraham, or Abram, and uh, begins the Jewish nation. You can read about that in Genesis chapter 12. Well, Abraham lives his life and, and has a son named Isaac. We spent some time looking at how Isaac, a picture of Christ in Genesis chapter 22, and then... 
Um, we found out last week that Jacob has two, or that Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau. Remember, Esau looks like a goat, and Jacob works with the goats. If, you know, that's an easy way to remember. They're, t- they're twins. Esau's the oldest one, and uh, Jacob's the younger one, and we're going to deal with some of that drama today. And so it's going to be kind of a different message, really super practical. We're not getting any doctrinal, very deep at all. Um, today, but we're only pretty much going to be in chapter 27, just a little bit in chapter 28. We got a lot of ground, a lot of ground to cover. Y'all ready? All right, let me pray. Father, Lord, I thank you um, for the body of Christ. I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that we're able to magnify your your name in, in song. I'm thankful for all those that were able to go to the marriage retreat this last weekend or just yesterday, and it was just a great time of fellowship and, and being grounded and centered in your word and repurposing and redirecting, redirecting our marriages. And Lord, what a passage to look at as we have a husband and a wife pitted against each other. And Father, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would speak into us. Um, Lord, I pray that we would hear from you and not my notes. Lord, may your word be proclaimed. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. All right, so we... We, uh, you see the, the sermon title is, is Bless You. Bless You, and that, that'll make sense as we get into this. I want to, before we get to chapter 27, can we go back to chapter 25 just for a moment? Chapter 25. Do you remember they, uh, the boys were born? Jacob and Esau were born. By the way, if you're a guest with us, we're glad that you're here. Bert's family's here, and we're glad that you guys are here. Um, if you are a guest with us, we are, we are really glad that you're here. But all right, so chapter 25, the latter part, verse 29 through 34. Remember Esau, is, he's a man, of the, a man of the field, and he's out, and he's, he's a hunter, and he comes in famished and faint, and his brother Jacob just has to be making a pot of chili, right, a pot of lentils, and he says, hey, um, give me something to eat. I'm hungry. I'm going to die if I don't eat. I'm starving to death, right? Every dramatic teenager known to man. I'm just starving to death. I'm going to die. Give me something to eat. And Jake's like, I got food for you. Um, but here's what it's going to cost you. Give me your birthright. And Esau, being young and not the smartest dude in the world, says, well, what good's that going to be to me if I'm going to die? I'll sell my birthright. So he sells the birthright for a bowl of like chili. Let's just be honest. So check this out. In verse 33, chapter 25, verse 33. And Jacob said, swear to me this day. And he swore unto him. And he sold his birthright unto Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils. And he did eat and drink and rose up and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. And yet there's still a burn in his craw, right? He's still upset about that thing years later. All right, so let's go to chapter 27. Because when you get to chapter 27, this is a story about a family that's barely holding things together. I mean, they are barely holding things together. It's a story, let's be honest, that's going to leave you saying, what in the world just happened? That's what it's going to leave you. If if it doesn't, then you've been watching a whole lot of Maury Provich, right? Because you've seen some of this stuff. And so this is a story that, uh, listen, we can can glean some of uh, some great principles from, though, I think. In fact, I know we can glean some great principles from that's going to help us guide our homes, but also our ministries. All right, so can we just walk through the story? We're not going to be able to read every single verse, but if I can just get you tuned into the story, and then after we tell the story, we're going to just sit back and make some practical applications. Is that all right? All right, so chapter 27, verse 1. says, And it came to pass that when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim, so that he could not see. That's what it means when your eyes are dim. It means you could not see. He called Esau, his eldest son, and said unto him, My son. And he said unto him, Behold, here am I. And he said, Behold, now I I am old. I, I know not the day of my death. Now, therefore, take, I pray thee, thy weapons, thy quiver, and thy bow, and go out to the field, and take me some venison, and make me savory meat, such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless thee, before I die. And so he comes, he calls his oldest son, says, hey Esau, go get me some venison. I want to eat it, and then I want to bless you. Can you can you do that? And you just see Esau like, hot dog. I've been waiting for this moment. And he he bolts. He's gone. He goes out to go hunt. He goes out to find 
find some, find some meat, bring back the venison, get it prepared. So that's, he's exited off the scene. The problem is um, Isaac's wife has been listening in on the conversation, right? You can just peek her behind the door, right? Just listening in what's going on. If you remember last week, we talked about how Isaac prefers Esau and, uh, is it Rebecca? Rebecca prefers Jacob. They're at favoritism in the house. This isn't good. So Rebecca's listening in and Verse 6, it says, Rebekah spake unto Jacob her son, saying, Behold, I heard thy father speak unto Esau thy brother, saying, Bring me venison, and make me savory meat, that I may eat, and bless thee before the Lord before my death. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice according to that which I command thee. Go now to the flock, and fetch me from thence two good kids of the goats, and I will make them savory meat for thy father, such as he loveth. And thou shalt bring it to thy father, that he may eat, and that he may bless thee before his death. So she's like, wait a second, Esau's gonna get blessed. My son's gonna get blessed, is what she says. And so she comes to her boy and says, hey, Jake, I got a plan. Here's what we're gonna do. Um, you're gonna go get a, you're gonna get a goat and we're gonna cook that thing down and you're gonna serve it to your dad. Well, Jake's like, wait a second, Esau's a hairy dude and I'm not, I'm a plain man, I'm a smooth man. Yeah, you are, man, you're a smooth criminal is what you are. You are, you are a used car salesman. That's who he is. All right, so skip down to verse 15. Skip down to verse 15. Because they, they go through this whole rigmarole. They, they, they cook the goat, and they, they start dressing him up in goat's hair. All right, so check this out, verse 15. And Rebekah took goodly raiment of her eldest son Esau, which were with her in the house, and put them upon Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the kids of the goats upon his hands and upon the smooth of his neck. And then it says, and she gave the savory meat and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son, Jacob. And so they come up with this plan. Hey, we're going to cook this meal and then we're going to dress you up like Esau. What do you mean play dress up? No, they're put on a play, right? They put on this costume and they, and they put on this, this little play and they're going to play dad for a fool. So much so that they put Esau's clothes on him and they cover his hands and his neck with the skins of a goat. How hairy does Esau have to be, man? He is, must be a hairy guy. I mean, hairy, I mean, that's his name. That's what his, his name means hairy. He, he's a rough to the touch. That's who he is. All right, so they come up with this plan. All right, then verse 18. Now we got to read a chunk here because we, we can't miss any of this. And he came unto his father and said, my father, they said, here am I. Who art thou, my son? Remember, he's deaf. I mean, he's, he's blind. He's not deaf, but he's blind. And here comes Jake, and it says, hey, I got something. Hey, here I am. And who, well, who art thou? And Jacob, verse 19, and Jacob said unto his father, I am Esau, thy firstborn. You lie through your teeth. No, you're not. He, he lies. I am Esau, thy firstborn. I have done according as thou badest me. Arise, I pray thee, sit and eat of my venison that thy soul may bless me. And Isaac said unto his son, how is it that thou hast found us so quickly, my son? And every hunter's like, yeah, it don't come easy, man. You got to work, right? How, how'd you go out there and hunt so, so fast? And he said, because the Lord thy God brought it to me. Just lie, compounding after lie, compounding. And then he brings the Lord into this. The Lord's beside, <laughs> okay. That's interesting. Verse 21, then Isaac said unto Jacob, come near, I pray thee, that I may feel thee, my son, whether thou be my very son Esau or not. Like the radar's going off. Isaac's like, something's not right here. Something's going down. And Jacob went near unto Isaac, his father, and he felt him and, he, and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. Listen, he put the whole costume on, but he didn't even bother to change his voice, man. He didn't bother to change the accent. He didn't, he didn't even bother, all right? And then verse 20, check this out. So he feels the hands of Esau. All right, he says, listen, the voice of Jacob, but the hands are like my, my son. What, what's going on in verse 23? And he discerned him not because his hands were hairy as his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. All right. That's some crazy stuff going down, but keep reading. And then he says, verse uh, 24. And then he says, art thou my very son Esau? 
Then he said, I am. He like doubles down on this lie. Verse 25, and he said, bring it near to me and I will eat of my son's venison that my soul may bless thee. And he brought it near to him and he, and he did eat and, and brought him wine and he drank. And his father Isaac said unto him, come now, come near now and kiss me, my son. And he came near and he kissed him and he smelled the smell of his raiment and blessed him and said, see, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field which the Lord hath, hath blessed. I, so my wife and I were at Bath and Body Works yesterday because that's where all God's men hang out, right? So I'm, I'm just kidding. It was a weird experience. I don't like a whole lot of fragrance, but I'm looking at all the, like the section for men. The whole thing's for women. There's like this real weird section for men. Yes, I bought something. All right, so while we're there, I'm looking at the different names of these things, and I've got the message in the back of my head. I'm thinking, man, a perfect name would be the smell of the field, right? That'd be a good name for, for a fragrance. And here he is, he just smells his son, and, and he, like, liked it. You ever smelled a goat? You ever hung out with a goat? They're not the most pleasant smelling thing in the world, and yet he's like, man, that's my boy. You smell like the field. What a compliment, man. What a compliment. How many of you have had your like eight-year-old boy go out, you give him a bath, and you let him play for 25 minutes outside? They reek, man. They come in, they just stink. That's the smell that Esau had, and that's the smell that his daddy loved. Oh, man, you smell musty, bud. <laughs> You're awesome. That's gross. But he smells him, and then check this out. And then he blesses, verse 28. Therefore, God give thee of the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of corn and wine. Let people serve thee and nations bow down to thee. Be Lord over thy brethren and let thy mother's sons bow down to thee. Cursed be everyone that curseth thee and blessed be he that blesseth thee. Oh, wow. That's the blessing he desires to give to Esau, but he gives it to his son, Jacob. So he, he blesses the wrong boy. All right? Now, as, now check out verse 30. And it came to pass, as soon as Isaac had made an end of blessing Jacob, and Jacob was yet scarce gone from the presence of, the, of Isaac, his father, that Esau, his brother, come, came in from his hunting. You can just know how this goes down, Right? Jake has just come in and stole everything. He's gone, steps out. I mean, like, this door shuts, this door, Dad, I'm home, right? All the intense music is set, right? He comes in, he goes, I got, I got the venison. And he goes, who are you? Well, I mean, I'm Esau. Who was it that I just blessed? And they both come to the same conclusion. Oh, I smell a rat, right? I don't smell a goat. I smell a rat. I smell a Jacob. And he gets super upset. All right, so he weeps, he cries, he weeps bitterly, verse 38. And Esau said unto his father, hast thou, hast thou but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and he wept, he cried. And Isaac, his father answered and said unto him, behold, Thy dwelling shall be the fatness of the earth and of the dew of heaven from above. And by thy sword shalt thou live and shalt serve thy brother. And it shall come to pass when thou shalt have the dominion that thou shalt break his yoke from off thy neck. So he is, he is upset that his brother took not just the birthright, but now the blessing. Because he says just a little bit earlier, Man, he, he's living up to his name. Go to verse 36. And he said, is not he rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he hath taken away my blessing. And he said, how hast thou not reserved a blessing for me? Dad, you blessed him, but there's got to be a blessing for me. And so he gets a blessing, but ain't... His blessing has nothing compared to verse 28 and 29, right? They are definitely not the same. And so guess what happens? Verse 41, check this out. And Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing wherewith his father blessed him. 
And Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then I will slay my brother Jacob. I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him. All right. So maybe you're asking, what in the world did I just read? What in the world is is happening here? Let me ask you this question. Why does Jacob go through the effort to deceive his father to get a blessing? And why does Esau get so upset about Jacob stealing the blessing? What is so important here? Why is this so dramatic? Why is it to the point that now he's ready to kill his brother? Right? Man, there are... Some of the worst drama in the world happens in families, doesn't it? It just happens in families. People you love the most, you can hate the most. It's just crazy to me. They just didn't they just uh, find that one guy guilt, guilty that just killed his killed his mom and or killed his wife and his son. He tried to play it off, and sure enough, it's exactly what happened. He he was upset with his wife and with his son, and so he killed him. Went from loving, just riding around with the son the day just earlier that day, having a good old time, and to killing him. That's exactly what's happening here. A whole lot of drama happens inside the family. Now, what's happening here is this. Here's the first point you got to get. Parents, your children have prioritized your blessing. Your children have prioritized your blessing. Now, those of you that do not have children right now, don't think this doesn't apply to you because it applies to you. Because this is both physically and spiritual children. Physical children and spiritual children. These are the ones that you you have in your home that came from your own bowels, right? But at the same time, the disciples you make, the people you lead to Christ, and the disciples that you make as you invest your life in in them. Children have prioritized your blessing. I cannot stress this enough. That is the whole deal of what's going on here. Everything. So here's the next question. Is blessing your children your priority then? Is blessing your children your priority? Because Isaac, verse 1, has determined that I have to bless my son because I'm going to die. He makes it a priority. He says, okay, I desperately need to bless my son because I'm going to die. Do you have that same mentality? Do you have in your heart that I need to bless my child? I need to make that a priority. Now, let me just clear off a spot here and just let me just chat for a moment. Nothing on the screen, nothing on your notes. Let's, def- let's identify kind of what a blessing is. Can we just do that for a moment? Now, a blessing is simply to seek the betterment or the good for the recipient. That's, that's literally all it means, that I want what's best for you all the time. That's what it means to be a blessing. Parents, disciples, disciplers, your disciples and your children have prioritized that blessing. They want to know that you want the best for them. Now, it's typically the father that directs the blessing. Okay? I can't stress that enough. We live in a day and age where broken families and this and that, fathers are absent or fathers are there, but they're not there. And all these are the father directs the blessing to the child. And it's customary still today, that the firstborn receive the special blessing, right? That's just customary. Um, sometimes that does get forfeited, right? I mean, it's forfeited here. It's definitely forfeited when Jacob, it's his turn to bless his 12 sons. When he goes to bless them, the blessing falls all the way down to Judah because the, other, the older ones squandered away. Right? So it does get forfeited at times. But here's what a blessing typically includes. Not every time, but typically. It typically includes a personal touch, right? So maybe you just want to write this down. It typically includes a personal touch, right? He said, come in, kiss me, right? Um, come, in, come in close, whether that's a touch um, where uh, Jacob puts his hands on Joseph's sons, right? There's a, there's a touch there, whether it's holding hands or it's kissing or hugging, whatever it is. There's typically physical touch, but there's also a spoken message, spoken directly to, not about, right? I think a lot of times parents speak a lot about their children and not necessarily to their children. So 
or disciples do the same thing. And so, all right, it's a spoken message, but then there's this, there's this point where you're parting high value or you're, you're speaking life into someone or you're calling out greatness in them. That's blessing. I want to call out greatness in you. I, I see this in you. I'm calling this out in you. I, I want to impart the high value in what I see. But then there's also this special attention given to the future, right? The special attention that's given to the future here is prophetic, and they're laying it out. I'm not telling you you can be prophetic over your child, and yet it's wise to talk to your children. It's wise to talk to your disciples about what God has for them in the future. It's wise to do those things, not you dictating their future. Can I get an amen? It's not your job to dictate your child's future. It's not your job to dictate your disciples' future, but it is your job to envision them and what God wants to do through them in the future. That's your job. But then you also see, we'll see this here in chapter 28 here in just a little bit, that there's this dedication to help them succeed, right? That's that's how you know that the blessing is sincere. Like, hey, I want to help you get from here to here. I want to help you accomplish that, right? So I was just talking to Madeline. I don't mean to rat you out, but I was just talking to Madeline this morning. I'm like, hey, do you realize that your like, high school years are almost over? I said, is that like exciting and, and terrifying at the same time? And she just agreed, yeah, it's kind of terrifying. Why? Because there's this pressure to have your life figured out. Isn't there? You just, man, I'm just like, well, She's thinking college, she's thinking this, and I'm just like, hey, have you thought about missions? Have you thought about just disappearing for a year, just going on a mission field for a minute, and just seeing what God's going to do there? That's okay, right? Just go see what God's, I just want to call out future. Just what could God do with you? You don't have to sweat it all the time. And I remember being in that situation, 16, 17, 18. Everybody's asking, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? I don't know. And I feel like a failure because I didn't have a clue. And I kind of became a failure for a couple years because I had no clue. Because I was trying to live up to other people's standards instead of what God wanted for me. And I walked away from the Lord for two years and God had to bring me back. And it was then, as I got the word of God, it began to speak into me personally that I began to get, oh, this is what God wants for me. And look, here I am pastoring a church when at 18 and 19, I was kind of giving God the finger. It wasn't good for, life, life was miserable those years. And here I am proclaiming the truth. Well, praise the Lord. Why? Because there were other people who saw something else in me and they called it out. They chose to bless. And I'm so grateful for that. That's what's happening here. Children prioritize your blessing. They do. And now maybe you're thinking, can my blessing really matter that much? Can it, can it really matter that much? I would say yes. Why? Because both Jacob and Esau desperately wanted their father's blessing. Desperately. So much so that one of them was willing to work as hard as he could for it. And so much so that the other one was willing willing to manipulate everyone to get it. Isn't that interesting? Because that's probably what's going on with your kids at home right now. You might have one that's trying to manipulate the situation. How do I get more? How do I get the blessing? And I'm not saying in every house this is true. But in the other, you might have one that's like, I got to prove myself. I got to work hard. I got to do this so that dad will be pleased with me. They desperately want your blessing. Your disciples desperately want your blessing. And they tie it to labor. They tie it to the work. I'll I'll just work hard. I'll I'll try to press them. and I'll do everything I possibly can because I want to hear them say, I'm proud of you. I want to hear them say, yes, that's that's the blessing. What's interesting is true blessing has nothing to do with who they are. It has nothing to do with what they do. It's who they are. They're your child. Does that make sense? And so, yes, your blessing matters. That's why your children prioritize it. That's why you should prioritize it. So here's the next point. Is blessing your children your priority throughout their life? Is blessing your children your priority throughout your life, beyond throughout their life? And here's what I mean by that. Because some of us might be saying, yeah, but my kids are already grown. 
My kids are already out of the house. It's kind of too late, is it? So let me ask you this. As we're reading this story, as we're walking through this story, how do you envision it? How old are these guys when you're envisioning it? How many, you don't need to, you don't need to holler out. How many of you would like, are like me? I envision them about 18 to 25. Anybody else envision them like that? Raise your hand. Is that you? How many of you envision them a little bit older than that? Or maybe even younger than that? Listen, here's what's crazy. Jacob and Esau are 77 years old when this is happening. They are playing games like this. Jacob is playing dress up at 77 years old. Think about that for a moment. He has concocted this plan with his mom to go boil a goat, feed it to dad while wearing a goat costume. Is that messed up to anybody else? And he's 77 years old. Man, as soon as I figured that out, I ran over to Mason's office and said, hey, we had a little chat about this. Like, this blows my mind. And I told him it was 71. I went and redid my math. And no, it was 77. They ought to know better, right? They're 77 years old. And man, all right, so if you want to do some math, you want to just check this out, have fun. You don't even have to leave the book of Genesis. Go towards the end of Genesis, you'll find out that, that uh, when Jacob shows up in Egypt, he's 130 years old. You find out that his son, Joseph, is 39-year-old. And then you find out that he's 91 years old when he has Joseph. When, so he's 91 years old when Joseph is born, which is crazy. So he's 91 years old when Joseph's born. That happens after the 14th year where he's worked for Rachel and Leah. And so you do the math backwards, he's 77. So Esau and Jacob are 77 years old when all this drama is taking place. And they still crave daddy's blessing. Is that crazy? They are still craving their father's blessing at the age of 77. That so many people in their later years are desperately seeking their parents' approval and their blessing. They want to know that their father loves them and they want to know that the father's proud of them and that's how they live their life. Maybe mom and dad have been dead for, for years and you're still trying to prove yourself to them. Or mom and dad haven't been around. You didn't grow up with them and you're still trying to prove yourself with them. I'm guilty of that at times. They're craving craving your blessing. All right, so how in the world did we even get here? So let's look at this from a different perspective. Let's just look at this from Isaac's perspective just for a moment. Here's your next point. Is that physical dullness often leads to spiritual delusion. That's what's happening here. He is physically dull, right? He's old. He's old. He's 137 years old when all this is happening. So he's 137 his kids are 77, and they're acting a fool, man. And they're playing him for a fool. But physical dullness often leads to spiritual delusion. He's a guy living in a state of delusion because of his, of his physical dullness. So let me just break it down three ways. The first one is this. It's delusion caused by desensitized hearing. Now, if you remember, there wasn't anything wrong with his hearing, was there? And yet that's the problem. The problem is his hearing, even though there's nothing wrong with his hearing. It's delusion caused by desensitized hearing. Remember this, his sense of sight is dulled, isn't it? You see that in verse one, He's, his eyes are dim, he cannot see. So his sense of sight is dulled. We know that his sense of touch is dulled. Why? Because he's fooled by an animal skin. I'm just, I know I've been railing on Esau, but homeboy. And he's married. He's got like wives and stuff. It's crazy to me. <laughs> Woo! Esau's a hairy dude, right? All right. And check this out. His sense of taste is dulled too. This guy has been eating venison for his, for his son, most of his son's life because his son is a hunter and he's been eating his son's cooking. And yet he's fooled by eating a goat. You think he knows what venison tastes like? You think he knows what his son's meat tastes like? I guarantee he does. And yet he's fooled by a goat. So his sense of taste is dulled. His sense of smell is heightened and yet is dulled because he smells the field on the costume and it deceives him. 
But the issue is the hearing. Remember what he said. Look at verse 22. 27, 22. Chapter 27, verse 22. And Jacob went near unto Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he discerned him, what? Not. Because his hands were hairy. That's the issue. Man, I hear my son Jacob's voice, but the hands are hairy. I mean, it's, I got to roll with this one. I got to roll with this one. And so his sense of hearing is dulled. And here's how. He ignores what he hears to believe what his dulled senses tell him. You get that? He ignores what he hears to believe what his dulled senses tell him. Hebrews chapter 5. Check this out. Here's a spiritual application for us. Of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered. And then it says, seeing ye are dull of hearing. For when the, for the, for the time ye ought to be teachers. Now, he's, he's dealing with people who are expected to, mature, to be mature. They're expected to have some things figured out. He says, you guys are dull of hearing. At a time when you should be teaching. No, you're needing to be taught again. The first principles of the oracles of God. I mean, the basis of the base things and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. And I'm telling you, I see this a lot, especially with, how do I say this? More mature believers. Titus would put it this way, the aged. The aged. And here's what I mean by this. So many believers are reliant on their senses. They're so reliant on their senses that they refuse to submit to what they know God has said. Their hearing works really well. And they know what God's word says. They know what they've heard. They know what's been said, and yet they choose to believe their dulled senses instead of God's word. And they explain away what they know. They explain explain away what they hear, and I'm telling you, I see this a lot. Where you have somebody who's grown in the Lord and matured and made disciples and they've done ministry, but later in life, they tune out the word of God and tune into all their ailments. Tune out the word of God and tune into all their physical situations. They tune out what they know. And so much so that they bring themselves away from being teachers to having to be taught. Simple little principles that they have themselves taught at one point in time. So much so that now they have need of milk and no longer can eat strong meat. Don't be guilty of that. Because that's Isaac's problem here. So it's desensitized hearing. But here's the second point, is that you have delusion caused by desensitized understanding. Desensitized understanding. You see, Isaac lost the ability to be in touch with what God is doing. Go back to chapter 25 for a moment. Chapter 25. when Rebecca is pregnant and these two boys are wrestling inside of her. She goes to the Lord and says, hey, why am I thus? And, and God says to her, verse 23, two nations are in thy womb and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels and the one people shall be stronger than the other people and the elder shall serve the younger. That's the promise. That's what's being said. That's what God is doing. The younger is going to rule over the older. The older is going to submit to the younger. And when it comes time to bless, who does he run to? He wants to run to the oldest instead of the youngest, doesn't he? Y'all with me? So I want to bless Esau. Wait a second. God told you the order this is supposed to be done. This is supposed to be Jacob first and then Esau. But he's so far gone, so many years down the road, 77 years removed from this moment, he's lost sight of what God's doing. The elder is supposed to be serving the younger. He was, 
He was seeing them as individuals instead of nations. God told him there's two manner of people. There's two nations represented here. We, talk, we talked about that. Or Jacob becomes Israel and Esau becomes Edom. Those are the people groups. And Isaac lose sight of that. But notice this. Go to chapter 27. Go to chapter 27. And uh, I'm in the wrong chapter. Chapter 27, verse 30. Let's go back to this. And it came to pass as soon as Isaac had made an end of blessing Jacob that Esau comes in from his hunting, right? Verse 31. And he also had made savory meat and brought it unto his father and said unto his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's venison that thy soul may bless me. And Isaac, his father, said unto him, who art thou? He said, I'm thy son, thy firstborn Esau. And Isaac trembles very exceedingly, doesn't he? And he goes, who? <laughs> who? Where is he that had taken venison and brought it to me? And I have eaten of all, notice this, notice the clarity that comes to his mind. And I have eaten of all before thou camest and have blessed him. And then he says, yea, he shall be blessed. He shall be blessed. It's almost as if a moment of clarity comes and goes, oh, yeah. Back in chapter 25, verse 23, God told me that. 77 years ago, God told me Jacob was going to be blessed. Well, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 20. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. There's prophetic prophecy in here, and he had to do it by faith. Well, we look at the story and go, I don't know how it's by faith. Well, the Lord took over, right? The Lord took over here. All right, so he's not fully understanding, and that happens when we get to a spot where our physical situations dull our dull us spiritually. All right, here's the third thing we see, is that he's deluded because of he's desensitizing his judgment. He's desensitizing his judgment. Why? Because all of this is happening because he thinks he's about to die. That's what's happening. He thinks he's about to die. And he wants to bless Esau before he does. And how many times do you see that with, with parents who haven't necessarily been there, right? As they begin to see the writing on the wall, as they begin to be in dire straits, they think the end may be happening. What do, they, what do they tend to do? They tend to reach out to try to make amends, don't they? They try to reach out so they can make themselves feel a little bit better. I've got a few last things. I've got to make things right before I die. Uh, you see that time to time. Well, he's desensitizing the judgment because he thinks he's about to die. Now, get this, not on your screen, not on your sheets, but the physical limitations that come with age. Now, I'm not pretending to be old, but I'm definitely older than some of y'all, and I'm feeling it, man. I am, I'm to the point where I don't even remember how old I am. I had to go to the doctor the other day and I had to ask her, how old am I? And we're like pulling out the calculator to do math. You know you're old when you have to pull out the calculator to do math. Figure that thing out. All right, so man, the physical limitations that come with age tend to draw us to the conclusion that the ability to impact the lives of others has come to an end. Or it's just about to be over. We lie to ourselves and we tell man, I'm getting old. I just can't make the impact that I'd like to do anymore. I can't do it anymore. Now, I told you just a little bit ago that if his sons are 77, that makes him 137 because he's 60 years older than they are. Now, here's what's interesting. Go over here to um, chapter, where do I want to go? I can't remember where I don't think I wrote that reference down. Anyway, let me just give it to you. You guys can go find it. You find out that his brother Ishmael dies at 137. His brother died at 137. And so he comes with this idea that I'm 137. It must be my time to go too. How many times have you heard that? Well, nobody in my family lives further than this. Nobody, nobody really in my family lives further than that. So you automatically start assuming that your time's up. You just assume. Well, my time must be up because their time was up. And we got the same clock and it must be my time. But here's the, here's the problem. He's convinced that it's his time to die. The problem is 
He doesn't die for 43 more years. How long was that? Not 43 minutes, not 43 days, not 43 months, but 43 stinking years. Hurry up, go get me some venison. You better hurry up and bring it in to me quickly. I gotta bless you, I gotta bless you. I'm about to die. Rebecca even comes to Jake and says, hey, your dad's about to die. Get in here, we gotta come up with this plan. They're 77 years old and they're trying to figure this whole thing out. Dad lives for 43 more years, man. And you know what's crazy? We don't read about Isaac doing anything else for 43 years. 43 years wasted because he was convinced his time was up. I'm telling you, the tendency of the older generations to slip toward the back of the crowd and allow the younger generation to do the work of the ministry. That's the temptation. Let them young ones do it. Well, the young ones do have the energy. But you aged ones, you have the wisdom. We need it all. We need a Titus 2 ministry. That's what I love about this church. I love this church. You know why? Because we have wisdom. We have the aged. We have the young ones. We got a bunch of them like, like multiplying like rabbits, man. That's awesome. But at the same time, man, we got some, we have some wisdom here. And that's a healthy church. There are churches that are only filled with wisdom and no youth. There are churches filled with only youth and no wisdom. And none of them are accomplishing anything for the kingdom right. We need each other. Don't think, don't think because you're a little older. Don't think because you got wrinkles you didn't used to have. Don't think because your back hurts or you, don't, you can't walk as far. You can't do as much. We believe the lie that our physical limitations hold us back and we think that God's done with us and we waste our final years of our life. Don't do it. Finish strong, amen? Off my soapbox. Drives me nuts, man. How about this? 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 5 to 8. I know, you just got done telling me, hey, I'm old, I can't see that, I'm sorry. <laughs> Look it up in your Bible, right? So 2 Timothy chapter four, but watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of evangelist, notice this, make full proof of thy ministry. In other words, see it all the way to the end. Don't be quitting, oh, I went far enough. I went as far as my back could take me. I went as far as my age would let me. I went as far as my eyes would do it. No, make full proof of that ministry, for I am now, notice what he says, for I am now ready. Paul says, I'm about to die. And he means that he's getting ready to lop, get his head lopped off. He says, I'm about to die. And notice what he says about himself. Verse seven, I have fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. You know what keeps you moving? You know what keeps you plugging away? Is you love his appearing. You wanna be busy doing when he shows up. That's what should keep you motivated. I wanna be found doing. But notice this, he says, I want you to watch in all things and endure reflections, do the work of vengeance, make full proof of that ministry, Tim. You know why? Because I'm going to leave and it's your turn. I'm gonna do it. I have fought a good fight. I've finished my course, I have kept the faith. And so many of us have hit the wall. That's a running term, I'm told. Not that I ever do that, right? But you've hit the wall, man. Listen, I did track for like a hot minute and it didn't last long because Marv came up to me and said, so we need a manager. Like that was the best news in the world, right? Um, I, I would run the 100-yard dash, and I would run the, is it the 200? Is that what it is? The 200. By the time I got past 100, I was done. I did not want to run the last 200. Then some of y'all crazy, you run 3,200 meters, you're nuts. That's insane. But here's what a lot of us do. We go hard, we go strong. We want to, Lord, we want God to do a lot of things in our lives. And the moment we begin to feel it in our bones, the moment we begin to feel it physically, we quit. 
we just give up and we don't finish. We just let pass the baton and let somebody else do it. Now there is a time and a place to do that, but only when you've done, then and only then, only when you're done. So now what? Let's wrap this thing up. So now what? Let's close with this. Here's your point. Children will prioritize their hurt when they feel like they don't have your blessing. Remember, children prioritize your blessing. But the moment they no longer feel that they have your blessing, they will prioritize their hurt. That's exactly what will happen. Proverbs 18, 21, death and life from the power of the tongue. You can kill a child and you can cause them to speak life into them or speak death into them. It's up to you. Colossians chapter three, verse 21. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger lest they be discouraged. Let me just hang out here just for a moment. Because discouraged kids are angry kids. That's it. Angry kids are discouraged kids. Some are going to live their life trying to prove themselves to everyone because they're discouraged, but they're angry. And so they're just going to grit their teeth and they're going to spend their life if dad wouldn't accept me, then I'm going to get you to accept me. I'm, going to, I'm just going to bust my tail and prove myself, hoping, hoping that somebody will say, I see you, and I'm proud of you. And long for that moment. And some want everyone else to think that they know everything. You can't speak into them. You can't tell them anything. They won't receive instruction. Ain't going to happen. Because the time of you being spoken into is over. I don't want to have any new information. I got it all figured out, even when you don't. And so then they want to impose their will upon others. They want to dictate what everybody else is going to do. Instead of receiving instruction, they want to be doing the one, the one doing the instructing. That's a discouraged, angry child. That's who that is, even when they're seven years old. It's a discouraged, angry child. And then here's what happens. Some of them, because they're discouraged, they're just going to shut down. They're going to do absolutely nothing, and they're going to seek comfort. Or they're going to run from work and responsibility. They'll do just enough to get by, but they're not going to own responsibility. They're not going to do any work because they're discouraged. And then you got some that are just going to blast out in anger all the time. They're just going to wear their anger on their sleeve. Whose fault is that? Almost always daddy's. As a police officer, these are the ones they deal with. Almost always. It's the discouraged, angry little kid that never grew up seeking mommy and daddy's blessing. Because they never got it, they prioritized their hurt. Now, you remember what, do you remember what Esau was bound to do as soon as he found out Jacob got the blessing? What did he say? I want to kill him. Here's your next point. Hurt people. Hurt people. Because they think it's going to take away their hurt. Notice what, notice what happens here. Chapter 27, verse 41. Well, verse 42. It says, and these words of Esau, her elder son, were told to Rebekah. And she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said unto him, Behold, thy brother Esau is touching thee, doth comfort himself, purposing to kill thee. Hurt people, hurt people, because they think it's going to take away their hurt. And all it does is cause more hurt. And so they got to go hurt somebody else. Now, skip to chapter 28 just for a moment. We don't have a whole lot of time. We're not going to be able to dwell here. But it comes time that Rebecca says, okay, listen, 
Jake hasn't been married yet. He's 77 years old. He hasn't found a woman yet. I'm terrified he's going to settle for one of these women here. And Rebecca says, hey, Isaac, you need to send him over to my family, all the way over to Padon Ram, and I go get a wife. And so sure enough, that's what he does. He says, okay, Jake, I want you to leave here. I want you to go all the way over uh, to, to where I got your, your mama from, and I want you to get a wife. Now notice this. He says in verse 2, chapter 28, verse 2, Arise, go to Padan Ram, to the house of Bethuel, my, thy, father's mother, thy mother's father, and take thee a wife from thence to the daughters of Laban, thy mother's brother. And then he gives the blessing. And God Almighty bless thee and make thee fruitful and multiply thee and, and thou mayest be a multitude of people and give thee the blessing of Abraham to thee and to thy seed with thee that thou mayest inherit the land wherein thou art a stranger, which, which God gave unto Abraham. And Isaac sent away Jacob and he went to Padam Aram. But here's the problem. Verse six, when Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padam Aram to take him a wife from thence, and that he, as he blessed him, he gave him a charge saying, thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. What does Esau say? Oh, dad doesn't like it. Dad doesn't want Jake to have a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Guess what I'm gonna do? I'll show him. And he goes over to Ishmael and he finds a wife of the Canaanites. Verse nine. Then went Esau unto Ishmael and took unto the, unto the wives which he had, Mahaliath, that word, daughter Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nehemiah, that word, to be his wife. I can't say those things. All right, so what does he do? I'll show dad. Here's your, here's your next point. Hurt people. Hurt themselves because they think it's going to hurt the person that hurt them. Hurt people hurt themselves because they think it's going to hurt the person that hurt them. Now, we do know that Esau's wives were a grief of mind to his parents. You can read that at the end of chapter 26. Sure enough, this one becomes a grief as well. As we, as we land this thing, I, I, can I just tell you, it's not too late. It's not too late. Yeah, but my kids are grown. They're out of the house. Do you understand they were still 77 wanting their dad's blessing, man? You, you, it's, it's, speak life into your kids, man. Kids stress it enough. Speak life into them. Bless them. Proverbs, Proverbs 20, verse 7. The just man walketh in his integrity. His children are blessed after him. Walk in integrity, and I promise you, the blessing pours out to those children. You'll want to bless if you walk in integrity. Malachi chapter 4, verse 6. This is the heart of our men's ministry. This is Dave, Dave Williams' heart. He talks about this verse all the time. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers. He's prophetically talking about John the Baptist preparing the nation for the coming of Christ. And guess what we have the opportunity to do? Jesus is coming again, and it's our job to turn the heart of the father to the child in the heart of the child to the father. Lost, I smite the earth with a curse. I'm telling you, if you refuse to bless your child, you refuse to bless the disciples that you have made, if you've raised them and just let them go and you're not carrying on that relationship and you're not speaking life into them, they will embrace the hurt instead of the blessing. I'm telling you, they will. But it's not too to speak life. Let's stand together. I'm going to ask you to just take about 15, 20 seconds just to take the things that we studied, the things that we just looked at, this crazy whacked out story, and yet we all relate, don't we? Isn't that interesting? We all relate in some way, some shape, some form. So take about 15, 20 seconds just to seek the Lord, ask Whatever there was, the Spirit of God tugging at your heart, the things that you're dealing with, okay, let's, let's lay those down before the Lord. Let's make some commitments to the Lord. I'll close with some prayer, and we will be dismissed. Lord God, it's a beautiful thing, Lord, that we can 
come to you, Lord, that we have bold access to you, Lord, that your word speaks life into us. Lord, it's amazing, Lord, that we can come to you as Father. Lord, some of us in this room have had some similar drama. We can relate to what we've studied this morning. So, Lord, I pray if there's anybody here that's in the bondage of anger and bitterness and discouragement, Lord, I pray that you would free them from that by you speaking your words of life into them. Lord, help us to know that we are all blessed because we're your children. If there's anybody here who is not a child of God, who is not saved, Lord, I pray that you would not give them rest. Lord, I pray that you would, you would draw them even to yourself, Lord, that they would reach out to somebody close to them and ask them how they can know you as Savior. Lord, I pray that you would turn the hearts of fathers to the children, the children's hearts to, to their fathers. Lord, I pray that disciplers would understand the magnitude of the role that they have is not to just share lessons, but to share life and to speak life and to continue that relationship all the way until the very end. Lord, I'm so thankful, Lord, for the illustrations and and the promises that are found in your word, Lord, I pray. Lord, that there would be victory in homes today. Lord, that there would be victory in the hearts of your people today. We ask all this in the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen.